Tonight's uh, teaching and exhortation, as you can see in your bulletin, is titled The Love Debt. Um, it is once again based um, on a sermon of another, um, Dr. Vody Bauckham, a Reformed uh, Baptist and one of my favorite preachers out there. And um, I, as a, as a teacher, um, would love to share uh, with others that which has blessed my mind and my heart. And so with uh, last week and with this week, uh, that's what, I've, what I'm trying to do. Um, so we'll be looking at Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. So feel free to turn there. We're not going to read it right now, but if you want to get ready... We'll all find it together here. Some of you might already be there. So, um, it's interesting from the vantage point of the Sunday school teaching and the exhortation up here amongst the elders. Um, we notice it, but I, I wonder if you all notice it. I pray and I trust that you do because we all have the same Holy Spirit, is, is that there is connection. Uh, Pastor Trefskar preaches on Jude, which is really a fighting against antinomianism, which is a big word that says that means no law. Uh, they had been so overcome by grace that they had basically thrown out any duty within the church uh, that the letter to Jude was written to. Um, and that was a problem. And so he wanted to write to them about their common salvation, their common faith, but felt it necessary, if you'll remember, to correct these false teachers who was leading the church astray. Um, we also are hearing the first couple of chapters of Romans and, and hearing about sin and lawlessness. Uh, we're also hearing about 1 Timothy before we went into Psalm 34. And, and you can see so many things basically uh, dovetailing together, uh, at least I do, and I think we talk about it. And it might look like we're planning this, is my point. But we're not. Um, we're not planning it. I might pick a Sunday school lesson or Roy Costa does. Uh, it's God's Holy Spirit that it's all one spirit. It's all one continuity and, and agreeance uh, in the scriptures. And so as we come across, but it's interesting to me how timely these things are. And so today, I think we, we want, hopefully we'll keep our mind back on the lessons that we learned in Jude and hopefully um, flesh out a little more um, about this concept that can be confusing um, about the, the relationship between uh, the law and love in the new covenant of grace uh, as it's been fulfilled in Jesus. Um, as we do that, um, I would like your mind to remember last week, if you were here, uh, one of the operating premises or the basis for what we were operating from last week was the motivation for us to obey, to repent, to do anything came from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 where it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so in that beginning part, um, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. We went back to Romans chapter 3, kind of 23 through 26, but really looked at 21 through 27. 
And we saw what propitiation was, what redemption was, what the mercies of God looked like, and, and what the righteousness of God manifested looked like. And, and so that was to be our motivation. And so as we talk about the love that we talked about last week, and we extol love amongst ourselves and love one another as we read this passage, please keep that that cross of Jesus in your mind as the love that's shown there is poured, in, poured into your heart. And, and so hopefully we'll be able to flesh out how the law relates to that. Um, so that's kind of the, the motivation. If you'll look at our text, we're not going to read it quite yet. Um, it might appear that there's um, an abrupt change here about love and the law and, and a debt. Paul's talking about, owe no one anything except to love them, loving your neighbor. Uh, but we have not made an abrupt change. Um, it actually is in fitting and keeping with the, all of the debts that we owe. This is Romans chapter 13, and we'll go into this a little bit more later, but in the beginning of Romans 13, Paul talks about our debt of submission to the civil authorities. And then he talks about the civil authorities' debt of submission to God, for they are uh, instituted by God and servants of God. And, and then at the end of uh, the section, and, and ending in verse 7, before we get into our passage, he talks about owe, uh, pay all to what is owed, taxes, revenue, respect, honor, everything that's owed. And so uh, this is in keeping with the debts that, that uh, we owe in the new covenant as we come to Romans 13. And so as we come to Romans 13:8, I ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word. Romans 13:8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Please pray with me. Father, once again, we come before you as jars of clay, which you have filled with your spirit. Now let your spirit speak to each of our hearts and accompany your word as you love to do. Be with your teacher, be with your flock, be with your people, for you are our God and we are your people. So let the words of my mouth and the meditations on all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So, in this passage, Paul is doing something that he does regularly. He makes a statement, and then he explains himself, and then actually in this one, he kind of makes the statement again at the end, but he makes a statement, a summary statement, and then he'll explain what he means. And that actually is not in my notes, but it's kind of a Proverbs type of a thing, where you'll get one way of saying something, and you'll get a kind of repetitive, repetitive line in Hebrew literature, where they'll just 
explain in a different way what is meant. So it's a very Hebrew Jewish way of thinking, and Paul being trained as a, under, as a rabbi before his conversion, it makes sense. So he's making a statement, and he's explaining himself. He did the same thing last week. In Romans 3.21, he said, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And well, you ask yourself, well, what do you mean, Paul? Can you explain yourself? And then he goes on to say, let me show you how the righteousness or justice of God has been displayed. And it's through all that we heard last week on how God saved us as a gift by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation to be received by faith. This was to show his justice at the present time, for in the former times he had passed over the former sins. This was to show his justice at or righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. And so the same pattern, Paul is making a statement Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So that's what he's doing here. So what do you mean by that statement, Paul? Owe no one anything except to love each other, verse 8, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. What do you mean? So he's going to explain what he means in verse 8 in verses 9 and 10. And here is the explanation. If you look in verse 9... If you'll look at the Ten Commandments, specifically the second table of the law, which is Commandments 6 through 10. Um, uh, Since I'm up here and it's not in formal Sunday school, I would ask you to to raise your hands. But just for the sake of everybody in the audience, uh, we typically understand the law to have two tables or divided into two parts. Commandments 1 through 4 are our duties and commandments in relationship to God. No other gods before me. You shall not take my name in vain, have a carved image. You shall keep my day holy. These are the commandments, uh, the first table of the law, and how we worship God. And the second table of the law, uh, uh, commandments 6 through 10, are about our duty horizontally towards our fellow man. So first table, second table of the law. So in this passage, Paul is looking at the second table of the law, or commandments 6 through 10, in verse 9. And I'll read verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And now he goes back to his original statement in verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So we've got kind of bookends and an explanation in the middle. You might often hear in evangelical circles that love and the law have nothing to do with each other. Law is that Old Testament angry God. It's condemnation. It shows us our sin only. Uh, But it, it has nothing to do with love. It has nothing to do with how I interact with God or my neighbor. They are irreconcilable foes. But Paul here is bringing together this concept that love is the fulfilling of the law, loving our neighbor. And the idea he presents here is that this is a debt that we owe. We actually owe a debt. 
as Christians, this is to the church in Rome, and if you read the whole letter of Romans, you realize this was supposed to be taken out and shown to all the churches. And so this is to us as well, is that we are under obligation, we have a debt here in our ledger to owe love to all. And so for our culture in the West, this can be difficult. This can be difficult for us, but why? And the reason it's difficult is because we have faulty, one of the reasons it's difficult is because we have faulty definitions of love. The culture in the modern Western, and this is not new, would define love as an overwhelming, nebulous, ambiguous, uh, um, undefined feeling or sensation that just kind of happens to us. And it, its origin is kind of in the, the Roman or Greek myth of Eros or Cupid, where uh, Cupid would just shoot an arrow at the unsuspecting person, and they would get hit in the rear end by the arrow, and then their little, in your cartoons, the, you get hearts around the eyes and hearts above the head, and, and the person is just overcome by this sensuous, uh, emotion and feeling of love. Love is something in that sense that happens to you when this cherub shoots you. You might hear things like, the heart wants what the heart wants. Well, I just couldn't help it. I just fell in love and stumbled and had to commit adultery with my wife or other things such as this. But this definition, if it's happening to us, contradicts the whole concept of a duty or of owing somebody something. How can I owe something to somebody if this love that I can own, that I can, I'm supposed to give, I can only experience it if it happens to me by chance or by some, some emotion running through the wind blowing a certain way, but it happens to me apart from my will. I was not the initiator of it, I just stumbled or fell into love. And so it can be difficult for us to understand that we owe this debt, as Paul says, because of that, the cultural definition. But that's not a contradiction in God's word. God's word will never confuse us. It is the lies of the world. It is, it is the lies of Satan when it, those come against God's word that cause confusion and friction within us. God, there is no confusion within God himself and his word. The world and its definitions confuse us as we walk about in it. So because of these faulty definitions, we have trouble actually um, applying love because we have this in movies and, and maybe online or on your phone or just things that come at us with this, this Cupid, this Greco-Roman myth of love. And so we don't apply love or give it as a debt that we owe as we ought to, to our neighbor, to our spouse, to our children, to our parents, to our, our, our bosses, our subordinates, everything that the Bible talks about in our relationships and on and on, to one another in the church, to everybody outside of the church. So we might end up applying love like this. I don't feel like loving you right now, and therefore I'm not obligated to love you because the emotion isn't hitting me right. There's no duty or debt there that I must 
and I'm obliged to love you with my words and tone and behavior and, and, and everything that I do. And that's how we, even Christians, act, and even the one standing here before you, to my shame. So I'm really exhorting myself in this, and it is an exhortation to my heart, and as I said earlier, that's why I want to share it to you, because these concepts have been a great blessing to me. If I can, by the grace of God, get them from my mind through this thing here out to you. And that's the goal here. So we even act that way. And we might say, the only way that I'm going to love you right now, wife, husband, as you are spitting venom at me or whatever it is, is if Cupid, Cupid shoots me and I get this overwhelming urge to do so. But until I feel like it, I'm not going to do it. Well, that's contradictory to, um, to what we're reading here. So Paul is speaking of a debt that is owed to every person, to all. In, in his commentary, Everett Harrison uh, says maybe a better translation, and I think it's translated this way in some translations. Instead of owe no one anything, it might better be trans, it, it might better, a better translation might be let no debt remain outstanding. Let no debt remain outstanding. And what this translation does, it avoids the danger of misinterpreting owe no man anything. If that were the, the interpretation, we couldn't be in, in actual financial or monetary debt. This is just a little side note on the proper translation. Uh, if we couldn't do that, if we couldn't borrow, the Lord would not have said to not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you, Matthew 5.42. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So let no debt remain outstanding. Now when we're talking about love, hear it that way that there's a debt outstanding, there's a negative balance in our ledger that needs to be filled up to every single person that we encounter. So the, um, I, I said it earlier, but the question does come, is he talking about believers only? And the answer is no. This debt is not just for believers. How do we know this? So you have your Bibles open. What we're going to do is do a little context here. We're going to work our way from chapter 12, verse 3, to chapter 13, verse 8, in summary chunks. So if you want to scan it as we're looking at it, chapter 12, verse 3, the gifts of grace. This is a statement about spiritual gifts within the church and how within the church we interact with one another. And so... Loving one another in the context of the spiritual gifts in the church, Paul is talking about the church in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. In verses 9 through 13, let love be genuine in verse 9. Love one another with a brotherly affection, verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. This is still talking about those within the church. Paul has that in mind as we're moving along. But things change in verse 14. Romans 12, 14, what do we read? Bless those who persecute you. Do you see the change? Now he's talking about blessing people and loving people who are not within the church. Verse 16, associate with the lowly, the disrespectful, those that are out there, um, maybe on the streets and stuff. Maybe they're in the church, but most likely here the flow is not. 
Verse 17 and 18, do what is honorable in the sight of all. Live peaceably with all. You see the flow from spiritual gifts in the church. Let love be genuine, uh, brotherly affection. And now those who are persecuting you, the lowly, honor in the sight of all. In verse 20 and 21 in chapter 12, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Overcome evil with good. And so Paul is moving from inside the church to our enemies and those out in the world. And then finally, um, he opens out, uh, uh, sorry, as we continue to move, uh, opens up chapter 13 now with our, our debts to the civil authorities. And at the end of that section in verse 7, leading right up to our verse, he says, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Then he continues in, in this section with the very next, worth, the very next verse with, owe no one anything except to love one another. And so if you ask your question, who is he talking about, this love debt that we owe, it is not just to Christians, He's moving from the, the church to our enemies to people we pay taxes to. And now he says this summary statement in verse 8. Um, so that's why I believe that this debt that we owe is not just to each other. There is a priority of loving the believers and serving the believers. But we owe this debt to everybody. So there's that uh, context. He's not going back to the beginning of chapter 12. So... Since he's not talking about just believers who have the spirit, who do love us and we love each other and we show grace and forgiveness in a special way, and he's not just talking about that, he's talking about them. Them out there. All of them. And us. Everybody included. Isn't this what the love of Jesus is like? Isn't this what the love of Christ is like? I change a little bit here, I slow down, so I, I wanted to make the point that this is a love for everybody out there, this love debt. Think about the love of Christ for all of us sitting here. Romans 5, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This debt of love that we owe is for all, not just those within the church. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, his love, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We heard about that last week. His righteous propitiation. For if while we were enemies, you and I, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled? There's love. That's a love word. Reconciliation. How much more shall we be saved? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received 
reconciliation. Here, love there. While we were weak, ungodly, still sinners, enemies, God showed his love. Underline bold in my notes. Showed his love through Christ dying for us. So, application. As followers, imitators of that type of love and that person, as imitators of Jesus, one of the ways that his death for you and me, who are weak and ungodly, sinning enemies of Jesus, one of the ways that it impacts us should be inwardly in our hearts so that we can turn that same love that has been shown into our hearts outwardly onto his fallen humanity. That's the debt that we owe, the debt that he purchased. Yes, we love the redeemed and each other in a special way and uniquely, and that is the priority, but it is not a love that is exclusive, uniquely exclusive. We need to love the people that are lost and made in the image of God because they are made in the image of God. How dare we as fallen sinners and enemies of God who deserve the wrath of God and have experienced his unconditional redeeming love despite ourselves. He loves us despite Matt. Because if it were any part of Matt, or I I assume you, that would cause him to not want to love me, he's got plenty of reasons. He loves me despite me. And he loves you despite you. And how dare we turn around and look at our neighbor who are people who are in the same very condition that we were and because they have not been given the gift, the gift, free, free, gift, gift that we talked about last week, we won't show them the love that we have received. How dare we? And God help us if we do that. How dare we withhold that love? We must imitate our Lord and Savior. We must reflect his image as those being transformed from one degree to another into his image. We need to, when we are metaphorically being beaten, flogged, whether it's with words or it's physical or it's financial or it's an injustice, when we are being Persecuted and nailed to a cross, metaphorically, can we say to our spouse, Father, forgive her, forgive him. To our children, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Love is not irritable. It is not resentful. Love is patient and kind. It doesn't insist on its own way. It doesn't envy or boast. That's what we are to imitate. imitate. So that's the debt we owe. And love is not, second point of application, love is not contrary nor superior to the law. It's not like we're in the covenant of grace and Jesus has redeemed us and now it's grace and love, and that's superior to God's commandments. And we see that in verse 9. 
For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So there's the commandment summed up in that word. And in Romans 7, Paul says, So the law is holy. This is new covenant. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Paul dispels the myth that the law is not good, that the law is evil. And in this text here, in Romans 13, 9, we see that love is the essence or the center of the law. Not contrary or superior, but the essence. We heard earlier in Deuteronomy 5, you shall love the Lord your God. Hear the word love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, the Shema, comes right after Deuteronomy chapter 5. And Deuteronomy chapter 5 is, guess what? The law, the Ten Commandments. So right after the Ten Commandments comes the Shema that says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So in Moses' mind, and of course in the New Testament as well, this love and how you love God is directly connected to Deuteronomy 5 before it. He's not going to transition from 5 to 6 and contradict himself. Love is the essence of what was just said in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy. It's also reiterated, and if there's a recording here, you can go back to this, but I'm not going to read all these. Deuteronomy 11, 13, 13, 3, 36, Joshua 22, 5, and in the New Testament, Matthew 22, 37, Mark 12, 30, and Luke 10, 27 are all saying the same thing. The essence or the summation of the law is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the essence of the law. Well, pray tell God how, what does love look like is really the question that we want to ask. What does it look like to love you in that first table of the law? You shall have no other gods before me. That's loving God. Don't make a graven image out of something and worship that because that's not loving God. How you love God is, is you worship me and me alone, for I am the only God. Uh, my name is, is who I am. That's, that's me. I'm a person. I'm a being. I have a personality. My name is holy. Reverence it, as we heard the fear this morning from Matthew. Uh, don't take my name like a vain, small, trivial thing. That's how you love me. The essence of the law is manifested, uh, the, the, the specifics are manifested, the, the essence is love in all of the commandments. And how about the second table of the law? Moving to the second table, Leviticus 19, yes, Leviticus. Leviticus 19, 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, that should sound familiar because that same statement, as I said earlier, is found in Matthew 19, 19, 22, 39, Mark 12, 31, Luke 10, 27, Romans 13, 9 here in this text, Galatians 5, 14, and James 2, 8. And all of these are quoting, all of these New Testament texts are quoting what? Leviticus, the law, that loving your neighbor as yourself 
is found in Leviticus. Love is not contrary to the law, but love fulfills the law. Notice verse 10. Back, we're back in Romans 13 here. I know I'm jumping around, and I hopefully, I don't know if I'm going fast, but if some of you were trying to keep up. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Love doesn't come along and say, forget about all that law stuff. I'm here now. No, love comes along and says, if you were wondering how you can do love and what love looks like, the answer is, look at the law. Children, honor your father and your mother. Well, I love my mother and father, but I'm not going to honor them. Don't murder your neighbor. I'm going to love my neighbor in my heart with a feeling, but I'm also going to murder them. Don't steal from your neighbor. Well, I feel love towards my neighbor, but I'm going to take their possessions. No, it doesn't work that way. If you love them, it will manifest it way, it will manifest itself in the way of looking like what the commandments look like. So these things, love and the law, are not contradictory. Jonathan Edwards, keeping the law is not a prerequisite for saving faith. We know that. Saving faith comes, everything we heard last week, as a gift, as a gift, as a gift, right? We're all lawbreakers. Keeping the law is not a prerequisite for saving faith, but saving faith is a prerequisite for keeping the law. What happens to our hearts after we're regenerate, after we're born again? He puts his law on our hearts, Jeremiah 31. Ezekiel 36, and I will put my spirit within you, and I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and put my spirit within you, and you will be careful to obey my commandments and keep all my statutes. You see the relationship? It doesn't change. Saving faith enables us to keep the law. It doesn't make the law irrelevant and no good. Listen to this. Last week we ended on Romans 3.26 pretty much. Here's 27, Romans 3, starting at verse 27, right after everything we heard about redemption and propitiation and the gift of grace and God's righteous manifestation of his justice. And what that shows us is we're simply recipients of a gift. In verse 27 then, then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith, which is a gift. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the, is God, the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Us? Yes, the Gentiles also, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. And remember when you hear that, this faith is a gift. When he says this, this discussion about the law and faith, he's, he's trying to get us to see there's no boasting because it's just a gift. So what is the final statement? Then, since it's a gift, but we're not justified by the law, it's all, everybody's by faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this new faith we have? The answer, by no means. God forbid. May it never be so. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Right after the heartbeat 
of the heart of the gospel is portrayed, Paul doesn't want us to get astray about being antinomian, which is a fancy Greek word that means no law. We can't be that way as Christians. How do we love our neighbor? How do we love our neighbor without keeping the law? Or keep the law without loving our neighbor? So I belabor the point, I think. Hopefully it's driving home. That's usually a good thing as a teacher when people are like, okay, okay, I got it. <laughs> but uh, so... Motivation. Continuing on. I want you to remember Jesus' words here um, about loving our neighbor. And God's law merely, once again, paints a picture of what love looks like. So let's hear Jesus on this a couple times. And, and John. John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus speaking. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's a convicting statement. How often is the Christian church appear, and I don't mean this church, but generally, general evangelicalism, through their biting and devouring and bickering and splitting all over the place, uh, do they appear impotent and, and, and not full of love? And what kind of witness is that to the world? When Jesus here says that by this love for one another, people will know that you are my disciples. We should be holy in this love. And they should go, wow, man, they really have patience with one another and forgive one another. That is amazing. Now listen to John, same author that wrote John. This is in 1 John. And this, 1 John 3, 23 and 24, he says, And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of, of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in, God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. So please hear this. Jesus didn't keep the law in his active obedience from his birth to his death to his resurrection and then die that propitiatory death, which is his passive obedience, so that, so that we could continue to do what he had paid for and paid the penalty for. That's why Paul says, by no means, we still uphold the law. He lived and died and was raised so that we might die to sin and be raised to new life. A new life that we never had before. His spirit poured into our hearts so that we who were dead and slaves to sin might be redeemed from the bondage, think Egypt, of our slavery and our depravity. And finally, for the first time, we could live to righteousness, the righteousness that is in the law, which is loving your neighbor and loving God. I've got quite a bit of stuff here, but I'm looking at the time and it didn't go as, as planned, um, so I'm going to go ahead and Look through here. 
I think the point, a good point has been made. Hopefully, I do know that it, it's going to require the sprinkled blood of Jesus in whatever we do here to make it righteous and good. And I believe, and I hope we all do, that he is faithful and just um, to do that. So may he bless your hearts by this word. I want to, um, I want to do, read two passages here. Um, I want to once again read our motivation from Romans 12, and please hearken back to last week. And then I'll read our text one more time. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. So then remember, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Amen. Please pray with me. Father God, these things can be confusing. Help us to look in your word in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and see all of these places how you just love us. And you want to show us metaphors and symbols in the Old Testament of, of what it looks like to love each other. And what it looks like in the New Testament to love each other. And what it looks like to love you. Help us not to be afraid. Knowing that we are redeemed by the blood of your son. By grace and grace alone. And nothing that we can do can take away or add to it. But help us to learn how to love more like your son. To his glory. That we might be a splendor to those in heaven. For what you are doing inside of us and among us. We pray it to the glory of Jesus. Amen.